Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we've seen Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Yes. A Marvel film, which you didn't know was Marvel until the very end. I didn't end. know it was Marvel. I mean, I basically went because I love Tony Leung. So, you know, I thought, oh, Tony Leung in a, in a Chinese martial arts film, I thought, fab, right? Heaven, let's go. But I didn't realise it, it was a Marvel film. And I didn't really realise what it was either until very recently because we saw the trailer a few weeks ago but because I knew that uh, Chloe Zhao was doing a Marvel film she was doing Eternals mm. and she's Chinese when I saw Chinese people in it I assumed it was I didn't know anything about Eternals either mm. so I assumed it was Eternals and then this title comes up Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings and I'm like I don't know, don't know what this is at all mm. what it is is a story about a young Chinese American man Shang-Chi who returns to where he came from and where he came from is a place with a lot of history, a family with a lot of history, family that actually goes back thousands of years. Mm. His dad, as we're told at the start, is thousands, is eight, at least a thousand years old. That's the kind of order of magnitude of his age. Um, and his dad had these ten rings that conferred him great power over the years, and he became mm. the most powerful person in the world, essentially, mm. but gave it up when he met his mum. Mm. That was in 1996. That's because that's when Shang-Chi was born. And then the story picks up in the present day, where Shang-Chi is a young adult, played by Simu Liu. Yes. Who, you were saying, has a very familiar face, but I'm not sure what we would actually recognise him from. No, I think I recognised him from television, but I couldn't tell you from what. Yeah. And he's got a very attractive, kind of pleasant, uh, like, feel-good presence. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's somebody who would not be out of place in a sitcom or something like that, right? Yeah. Uh, he's not a threatening presence. <laughs> uh, but he's very charming, I thought. He's uh, parking cars in San Francisco with his best friend, played by Aquafina, yes. who we've previously seen in... I think she was in Crazy Rich Asians. Yes, she was. And in fact, she was in The Farewell as well. Yes. Um, which are both films about uh, the kind of Chinese-American immigrant experience. Yes. Which this is too. Uh, and one thing leads to another. There's a little bit of mystery. They go back home. She discovers all this stuff about him that she never knew, mm. uh, that he's kind of been hiding over the years, that, that he'd change his name. Um, and that he has a sister, and that he has this unusual parentage in yes. history. Um, that's the premise, that's a setup. Yes. Uh, the storytelling, I think, is very well handled because you get maybe too much voiceover, actually. But nonetheless, you know, you have a, it's built around flashbacks, yeah? Mm-hmm. So the story takes you to a certain point, and there's a flashback, and then you return and you move forward, and then there's a flashback to another period or another time or another action. And I thought, you know, that worked very well for me. I wasn't bored at all. You know, I kind of kept me going. I agree with you. And it, the, the flashbacks were making me think about the setting at, in a in a Chinese-American immigrant context and the relationship with The Farewell and uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Mm. About, about, there are films about second and third generation immigrants who, upon returning to the old country... Um, find that they don't really match up with it, and things yes. are different, and they're about these experiences. Because it made me, it put me in mind of like, why is it Chinese American films that do that, and not Black American films that do that? And mm. Black American films is they're about people mm. or historical people who didn't choose to be there. Mm. The difference is with the Chinese American immigrants is they chose to be in America, and now it's their kids going back home and finding that the the, the culture from which they um, descend is they have, they have differences with it. Mm. Um, and that's handled largely through flashback. I, I really like that 
you get this setup in San Francisco, and it's all modern day, and they're speaking English and everything, and they're just they've grown up as Americans. And the way the flashbacks work is they tell you these kind of magical stories. I really like the way that the use of flashback confers the difference between old and new, and the, and I think the difference between the cultures. And then when they actually go to um, the village where uh, Shang Chi's mum comes from. They actually confront that for real at last, mm. you know. That is like the old Chinese paintings coming to life, and I really like the use of the the animals. Uh, so you get these fantastical animals in this little village, and some of them look like they are those animals that you see in old Chinese, ancient Chinese art, mm. but made real. The dragon looks amazing. The lions look creepy. I think one of the great things about this film actually is the way all of that world building is handled. You know, the animals are extraordinary. Uh, the actions are extraordinary. The landscape is beautiful. You know, the use of red. You could see how it's been inspired uh, by all of those 90s uh, martial arts films. Yeah. Mm. Uh, what is it? Uh, the one where they walk on the roofs. and Crouching Hero. Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah. And Hero and all of those films. It's just stunning to look at. Uh, with... The special effects kind of being extraordinary. The thing with the dragons, with the animals, with the landscape. And my favorite bit was when uh, Tony Leung puts the two pendants uh, into the eyes of the dragon. And then you get this map that's made of water, right? And, mm. you know, the way that the water... The water is... moves in slow motion, but yeah. they don't. They walk around this magical slow yeah. motion water. It's an extraordinary scene, actually. Well, you know, one of the best... Uh, special effects things I've seen in any Marvel film uh, period, really. Mm. So I thought it was interesting because if I'm think if I think what are my favorite Marvel films? Well, actually, you know I think my favorite Marvel films are like Black Panther, of which this is uh, a kind of Asian equivalent. Yeah, it is also about going back to Asia and about Asian legends and Asian images and mm -hmm. yeah, uh, uh, figures and dragons and so on. So you know, the use of color and the use of imagery and so on, harkens back to a kind of a different ancestry that, you know, you could tie it to America, but is not American. Yeah, it kind of calls on other parts of the world, which I like because normally, you know, kind of the only parts of the world that the rest of uh, uh, Marvel films hark back to is like basically the UK. <laughs> yeah, it's not even France or anything. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I think this broadens its scope in interesting ways. It makes the world uh, larger, um, you know, than uh, you're used to seeing uh, in a Marvel film. So I really, you know, I, I really appreciated that aspect of it. And it also ties in for me with Doctor Strange, mm -hmm. yeah, of which we see. Yeah, one of the figures, you reminded me... Wong. Wong. Played by Benedict Wong. Yeah, appears in the film. So so it's kind of connected to that particular branch of Marvel. Yeah, the there's, Marvel a, there's a magical side to Marvel. There's like a sci-fi side, and there's a kind of apocalyptic side. And, and there's the magical side, which Doctor Strange really introduced. Mm. And this fits in with that very nicely. The yes. rings and the kind of historical stories and kind of going back to previous eras and previous cultures and that kind of thing speaks to that. Mm. They're, they're, so in that conversation, this is spoilers, I suppose, the conversation in the in the mid-credit scene that we watched, they talk about the rings having a provenance from far beyond the thousand years that his dad had them for. 
and you go, we don't know how far these things go back. Mm. And I suggested to you, oh, these, that's, this is going to be the new Infinity Stones, like mm. of this phase of Marvel. Mm. These are going to be the things that someone's after because they go back such a long time and mm. they're, they're mysterious and so on. Might be. I mean, this is the 25th Marvel film. Mm-hmm. It's hard to believe because I've seen them all, <laughs> and I lose track. And I certainly didn't think it was twenty-five, uh, but you know, it is the twenty-fifth film. I think it's one of the best. It's certainly one of the ones I've enjoyed most. It's one of the most surprising for me, and one of the most engrossing, mm. and one of the most sort of of a piece. Like it, it's a real setup movie that has very little to do with anything else Marvel until the end, where you see how it's going to start slotting in. Mm. Um, but it really works on its own terms and in fact in that sense it actually reminded me of the very first Iron Man mm. back in 2008 because I didn't know who Iron Man was and I think generally speaking a lot of people didn't he, mm. he's, he's not a figure on the level of a Batman or a Superman mm. it's like culturally penetrated to that degree at least it wasn't at that time mm-hmm. um, and so I went into it going what is this why would you what do you make a film about someone who wears an iron suit? Mm. And then you come out going, oh, that was brilliant. Mm. Absolutely brilliant. I loved it. And, you know, you can't wait to see more. And this has a sense of that to me. Where yes. I thought, what's this Ten Rings? I asked you before, because you do know your comics a little bit. Yes. And I said to you before, do you know what this Ten Rings is? And you said no. And apparently I was just looking up, like, they do have a history of being mentioned in and around the Marvel films mm. that obviously I've never picked up because mm. if you don't know, if it doesn't mean anything to you, you just forget that, yes. anyone, said, that anyone said anything about them. But apparently in the Iron Man films, they have been mentioned. And um, this film brings back the Mandarin. Uh, well, kind of. So the Mandarin in Iron Man 3, I knew at the time, although I didn't really know anything about the Mandarin, I knew that people weren't happy about it. Mm. So the Mandarin is Iron Man's oldest enemy. He's his arch nemesis. Um, and he is this kind of Chinese... Mm. Villain. Villain figure. And apparently he wears these ten rings. This is all stuff I've just recently been <laughs> finding out on Wikipedia in <laughs> kind of looking up the Mandarin. Um, because what you get here is the Tony Leung character, the dad, is apparently a composite character of uh, the Mandarin from the comics mm. and also Fu Manchu, who apparently in the comics is Shang-Chi's dad. And they've kind of put these together and made this new character. Oh. And so he has this thing where he talks about his historical nicknames, and one of them was the most dangerous man on earth, and one of them was the Mandarin. And so the idea here is that the Mandarin from Iron Man 3, which was uh, Trevor Slattery, played by Ben Kingsley, was a sort of Chinese figure who then was revealed in that film to be fake to be playing at a terrorist, playing a terrorist, playing on America's fears of what terrorism looked like, mm. playing like a... I mean, to be honest, although he was kind of cloaked in Chinese stuff, really he was doing Osama Bin Laden, kind of mm. doing videos from his cave, you know. Um, and the real Mandarin behind him was played by Guy Pierce. And what this now sort of says is actually Guy Pierce wasn't the real Mandarin either. He was playing what he'd heard of these old stories of what the Mandarin was. And the real Mandarin is... Tony Leung, but he kind of rejects that. He rejects it and says, well, he has that line about um, he named himself after a food and, and America was scared of an orange, he says. So there's this thing about rejecting that kind of, rejecting what Marvel did because the fans really weren't happy about it. The fans weren't happy about changing the Mandarin from this very important villain from the comics into a joke, mm. what they considered it to be. Um, and I always thought the Mandarin actually in Iron Man 3 got a little bit of a bad rap because what I liked about it was thematically it was about creating a villain in your head and kind of playing up the image of a villain that you believe. Because on the other hand, in that same film, you had 
the Don Cheadle character taking on the Iron Man suit, and they kind of repainted it in the American flag stuff and mm. called it Iron Patriot, I think. Right. So it's like, on the one hand, you've got cloaking this guy in sort of Chinese garb and terrorist sort of aesthetics and saying, oh, scary. And on the other hand, you've got cloaking this guy in American garb and a big flag and going, love him, he's brilliant. Um. You know. But I also understand that there was this kind of historical accusation of racism. I mean, there's certainly always been accusations of racism around Fu Manchu, which is not originally a Marvel character. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a historical kind of novel character and he's been in all sorts of things. And, mm. and kind of Orientalism is yes. very strong in Fu Manchu. Yes. And they reject that here completely by not having him as Fu Manchu. Mm-hmm. You know? And actually the Tony Leung character is very modern looking, wearing suits and all the rest of it. Like he doesn't, he doesn't kind of cloak himself in anything mm. of that nature. I the film is making a big effort at rejecting that sort of thing and yeah. setting up its own idea of... of what it wants the Mandarin to be, or what it what it wants people to uh, understand the Mandarin once was in their previous film, and that they have you know sort of grown and understand the power of their representations a little bit. Although it does kind of make me laugh that it's still Ben Kingsley who famously kind of blacked up to play Gandhi, and that's yes. never going to really be addressed. Mm. Um, I thought the whole conceptualization of the Tony Leung character didn't work. Okay, uh, so. I mean, I love Tony Leung. I think he's like Jean Gabin. It's like you see his face and his face is full of things, of sadness, of longing, of experience. Like, hmm. you know, his face just communicates a kind of depth, really. Um, but I don't like the way the character was written, right? So on the one hand, he's meant to be like this vicious warlord who's only interested in power, mm-hmm. right? And your whole introduction is that. He's interested in power, right? And he's got one little bit of it to conquer, Really. And then he falls in love. And then because he falls in love, he gives up everything. And just, and I just, I needed something more than that. Right? <laughs> because, you know, how could you just be interested in power for a thousand years and like practically rule the world and then, you know, give it all up. And actually, and then you only give it up for 10 years. And then the treatment of the children, is, uh, yeah. Woman like, of his dreams. Was, and she was the only person who could ever beat him in a fight. And I got him. that. And actually the scenes where they fight, which are also a courtship scene, are actually very well done. It was beautiful. Yeah. And it was really graceful martial arts. Yeah, the all, was... the, all the fight scenes were wonderful, I thought. And a lesson, because actually, you know, I know it's my old hobby horse, but you could see the actions. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it makes all the difference in the world to be able to see them, uh, rather than always just partial huge numbers of cuts. Um, but Although then, I, think, I think it still had a little bit of that as well. Well, it did have a little bit of that, but it was much more satisfying than the norm. Yeah. Um, but then I didn't understand his switch around, and I didn't understand, um, you know, how he just disappears from his children. And, and actually, that's not told very well, because, you know, presumably him finding out that his wife was murdered is what causes him to return to his old ways. Mm-hmm. You know, but I mean, his old ways are really his ever ways. I mean, he's only been married to her for 10 years when that happens. So I just thought... I you know I think I think that was badly developed. I would have liked yeah. it to be different. Yeah. I did find that satisfying, and I thought it was narrated nicely because the story is told to you over the course of the film, and you see gradually different parts of it, and you understand him more to the point where you you really understand he he becomes a tragic figure. So this thing about opening this gate, which is going to let all of these demons in, he's doing it because he thinks his wife's in there. His wife's calling to him, and that's what you're told by 
uh, the wife's sister, in fact, who tells the story of the gate and says, the demons behind it will call out to you for the thing you desire the most, and that's how they get you to open it up. Well, It becomes I, a tragic figure. That he... I, I got that, but I also then don't understand why he basically uh, kills his son, right? Um, you know, to get to his wife. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. Uh, and, you're, you know, you're just not given any information, really. So it's obvious, you know, that the call of his wife, or the perceived call of his wife, uh, overrules any sentiment to his child, which I just don't believe. Like, mm. you know, I thought you needed something more than that. That's needed, the obsession. You needed something more about his response to his daughter. Um, so I and I, yeah, so the switch back and forth of evil, not evil, reformed, then you know, <laughs> uh, back to evil. I just uh, that was too schematic for A me. A little convenient for you. Yeah, um, yeah, I can see that. It so, did work for me though, and it happens in Tony Young's face. The thing right at the end where he. Uh, finally has the kind of final confrontation with his son and is finally convinced that what he's done this is just after he's let out the giant monster mm. and so he finally is able to be convinced that what he's done is, is, wrong. is wrong and that he's been lied to and when his son says that you've been lied to the shake of his head and the tears welling up in his eyes as he wants to reject that are Amazing, so well, so evocative. That's because Tony Leon is wonderful, and you know I think he yeah. is like one of the most extraordinary actors in the history of cinema. But it's so, a well worked out scene. And well, he brings that to it. The character I think is very badly written. Mm. I do wish he'd had a better ending, because his ending is not entirely unpredictable that he uh, basically sacrificed himself for his son, but it's actually a meaningless sacrifice, the way that it happened. So this huge demon's been let out, and this demon consumes souls. And as it's coming for them, he puts the rings on. Well, the thing is, is it coming... Maybe that... He puts the rings back on, because they've been kind of sharing them between each other <laughs> during this fight, and they're on the ground. He gets them back on, and then he basically gives himself to this demon... And I suppose you can see that as him sacrificing himself so that his son can get away. But it doesn't quite play it that well. It doesn't quite sell it like that. And actually, to me, it comes across as a meaningless sacrifice. That I want him to be doing more with his sacrifice in order well, to be worth giving up his life. I wanted the film to have done more with his death. You know, because he basically is the protagonist of the film, really. I mean, obviously his son takes over then. But, you know, so much of the film, he's been the protagonist. And I don't mm. think the film gives him an important enough death scene. No, that, yeah, basically, um, so, yeah. I want it to, I want more to happen with it, and it's a little bit meaningless. Yeah. Really. Um, um, I also felt that the introduction of the dragon, well, the the very first introduction where uh, Shang Chi is underwater, having been thrown there by his dad, and he's dying, and then the dragon, well, he there are bubbles coming in from beneath, and they give him breath, and then you know you see it's a dragon. Mm. That's great. But then as the dragon comes out of the ground and kind of saves the day briefly until things get a little bit worse, I wanted a little bit more from that. Like, it's it's just not quite enough build-up because on the ground you want you want what's going on or rumbling or something. And I wanted more beauty when it emerged from the water. And Well, I thought, I thought it was beautiful, but, I mean, I, I know what you mean because the thing is that you expect there to be a greater connection between the dragon and the Sammy Leon character, yeah? You know, because mm. obviously he's revived him. That's the point of discovery. You expect it to be a kind of an emotional or psychic something, yeah, a connection between the dragon and 
this uh, young man. And there isn't. Or you're given the impression that there is, but then the sister gets on board and, you know, and then whatever emotion... Yeah, whatever the sister, you... The sister connects to the dragon and the dragon becomes her ally and her tool yes. and her... Um, but, you know, I think... But then that means that, you know, the, what you thought was the connection with the boy is no longer there, right? Or is displaced by the sisters. I don't like the way that was done. Well, I mean, why not give her that connection from the beginning and... You know, because I think there because well, I suppose the the waking him up is part of because you think that he might be dead, and so that becomes that dramatic moment of this is a dragon that wakes him up. That's why those two are connected. At the well, start. I think it's bad storytelling because you know if you want to uh, make an equivalence between the brothers and sisters, you could have done it another way, mm. right? You know, but to establish this thing that the dragon is what get, you know revives, brings back to life this boy, you know, and so on. And they have the special connection. Then, oops, but now. You know, your connection is lost and now we give it to someone else. I thought that was not... I mean, good. to be fair, I, I'd rather let that go because I didn't at any point see it as a connection between him and the beast, him and the dragon at the start. I thought, yeah, obviously, as you say, he's revived him, the dragon's revived him and then the dragon gets him out and so on. But um, I didn't mind it at all when the dragon kind of became the sister's thing. Like, there's this shot of the sister kind of recognising that the dragon is my deal. Also, I'm glad that the sister actually had something to do at that point because when you get to that town, she's forgotten a little bit. When they do the kind of training and getting stuff ready and all this kind of stuff and learning about the history of the gate and the town and so on and the family, um, that's all on Shang-Chi. Mm. That's hi- him and the aunt connecting and telling the story and also a little bit of Aquafina learning to shoot. Mm. And actually, the sister is nowhere to be seen at this point. I know. Um, but I think that's just very bad story. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I agree. I mean, like that, um, that could be handled better in the moment, but I'm glad then that at least she did have something to do after that, sure. which was connect to this dragon. Well, I think the film wants to be inclusive and to include a feminist dimension, you know, and I like that. I just think it could have done it better. And, you know, and I could have done it better in many ways, like, you know, build a greater connection between the aunt and her, mm-hmm. you know, have her uh, be more enmeshed in that world of the island and magic, whereas the brother then goes off into the other world. Yeah, you, there's many ways in which you could have given them equal importance and significance and so on. But, but I just don't think the that, that is not this film's strength. Uh, no, uh, although I do think I would... I, we we talk a lot about Marvel and Disney generally, because um, we talk about it in Star Wars as well, um, sort of engineering um, feminism and kind of greater, better representation of minority cultures and minority races and peoples into their films. And we always say it's very welcome, but they've done it a bit clunkily. Mm. Like generally, it seems to come across that way. Whereas in this, the film is built out of <laughs> Chinese culture mm. and Chinese people and women are important to the film. Mm. And it seems so effortless. Really, you know, it doesn't, nothing in that respect feels clunky in this at all, mm. which is something that I really appreciate about it, actually. So I think you're right that maybe one or two things could be a little better. They could be a little more focused on the sister when it's important. But actually, I think the film is very successful. You know, it doesn't feel like a clunky project the way it does in those other films. It's just it natural doesn't feel to clunky. It's very entertaining, the film. It's hugely enjoyable, it moves beautifully, and it has an extraordinary use of, of colour and design. And, you know, I loved all of that, and I love the fights, uh, which, you know, for a Marvel film, it's rare that they're as well done as they are here. 
Um, so I loved all of that, but it falls short of being, you know, as great as something like the Black Panther was. It's not cohesive, you know. It it's lacking in dimensions and uh, um, mm. and texture, and also in a kind of organic thing. Yeah, you know, the the pieces don't tie in together as well as they could, right? Mm. So. You know, you have rhyming things that are very good. Yeah, the mother's fight becomes the boy, the yeah, the son's fight mm -hmm. with the father at the end, right? And you can see how the the rhyming moves and so on indicate that connection. I think the film could have done a lot more that way by making things more cohesive and you know the pieces kind of hold together better. Yeah, um, some of the humor could have been a little better, but actually a lot of it worked for me. And actually, I was surprised at. The return of the Mandarin working for me, actually. I keep mm. calling him the Mandarin. He's not the Mandarin. He's, he's Trevor Slattery, an actor from Liverpool. Uh, but the return of him actually started to work for me because I remember in Iron Man 3 when he was revealed to be this actor, it was extremely annoying, actually. Mm. Like, I'm not one of the people who went to it going, oh, no, they've ruined the comics. I just thought he was an annoying guy. Yes. And in here, he actually wins you over, I think. Mm. You know... It, they give him something to do. They actually make him important to the story. You don't just pick him up and then drop him. He becomes important to finishing the story because he's able to get them to this hidden city. And the way that he gets into this hidden city is because he has a little cute furry friend. Mm. And that is Disney 101. Is just give him a cute friend mm. and you'll like him more. Because mm. the friend can only speak to him mm. because he speaks in little squeaks and stuff. And so only Trevor Slattery can understand him. And then luckily... I mean, it's partly with Ben King because he's a very good actor, but he's given some decent lines and decent kind of little bits of business to do that make him likeable. And I was surprised that that I went along with him. Yes. I liked Aquafina. I thought she did bring in, you know, the much-needed kind of humour. Mm -hmm. I thought the film maybe overused her, right? So she, she, she didn't succeed in every instance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there were a couple of moments that kind of fall flat. But I actually thought that that was like the filmmaker's fault rather than hers. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's like they're relying on her verbal humor and her intonations and so on to bring some life in the film. Whereas actually they should have been doing other things. Like I thought one of the visual jokes that worked was in the cage fight, where the fist comes from another ring. Yeah, yeah. What a great joke! He uses portals to, yeah. to make him punch himself. Yeah, that was a great visual joke, right? Mm. Uh, but they didn't do any of those when Aquafina was around, and I think they over relied on just how personable yeah, and hmm. funny she is. She's an interesting presence in film, because I think we talked about this before, where in the other films uh, that we've seen her in, which are, as we've said, these films that are built around Chinese-American immigrant experience and the experience of the second and third generation immigrants going home and not connecting to it so well. She was the main character in The Farewell, and she was a side character in Crazy Rich Asians, and both times she was someone who really did not connect with Mm. kind of background very much at all and and that's something that is repeated here mm. right so she doesn't speak the language um she has hardly any connection although in her home she does have a, a grandmother who speaks chinese and you wonder how she speaks to her she doesn't speak the language at all but maybe glossed over that um but that's what kind of what she's representing here as well mm. right like that is seems to be very much her thing that she's someone at least in these films who who has a completely blank lack of connection to the kind of culture and place and people that she comes from, mm -hmm. which is not the, not the same with with other characters. Anyway, just an idle thought, I suppose, mm. about what her mm. persona is. Um, I really loved it actually, and it's one of those films that I really loved it without thinking that it's great. Mm. You know, 
So it has elements that I think are absolutely fantastic. Yeah, we talked about the water scene. Uh, I love Tony Leung. As soon as Michelle Yeoh appeared, mm. she just cheered me up. You know, it's kind of, it's amazing. It's almost like the power of old-fashioned movie stars, yeah. <laughs> that, you know, they, they bring their presence, but they also bring everything they've meant, you know, in other films, yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of, uh, so it instantly kind of, it cheered me up to see her. Uh, and she brought the same kind of wise elegance, yeah, to, to the proceedings. I loved seeing her. Um, I loved the fight sequence, and I thought some of them were very imaginative. Yeah, the ones outside of the uh, uh, hotel in Macau, yeah, where, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're fighting in the scaffolding. I loved all of that. Uh, and the bus, I thought, was wonderful. The bus was very good. The scaffolding yeah. was less impressive to me. Yeah, so anyway, so just that contradiction of a film that has many faults, but that I've that I loved, and actually I think, I can't remember when I last enjoyed uh, a Marvel film this much. Maybe uh, Doctor Strange or Black Panther is, mm. yeah, are the ones that I'm kind of uh, connecting to. Because, you know, a lot of the recent ones have been like, a, not quite a slog, but almost. Yeah, well, it's, it's a promising kind of introduction to the next stage of Marvel, because I suppose they have these phases, and so you had phase one, phase two, phase three led up to Infinity War and Endgame and you can I suppose kind of think of all of those together as like the first big bit of Marvel mm. you know because Endgame was such a kind of there was a real finality in that mm. film and obviously with the death of Tony Stark that's quite an important thing for the series mm. and so since then they've been starting it up again and and it's been questionable as to how they'll do that because especially with the death of Chadwick Boseman mm. who you really thought because Black Panther was so good, you thought, oh, wow, this is mm. much better than I expected it to be, much more interesting than I expected mm. it to be. You thought, wow, this is surprising. Like, he could be the next most important, yes. and he's not going to be now. Um, so you kind of have these questions about where it's going to go next, and to see the introduction of something very new mm. to the Marvel Universe be so successful and so interesting yes. and so compelling, I'm interested to see more of Simu Liu as... The new mm. guy, you know, yes. who has these new powers and he's going to be part of the team. Yes. Um, uh, yes, I'd love to see more of him as well. So that's promising, right? Yeah. Looking forward to it. Yes, excellent. And it's a very good film. So if you're interested in the normal Marvel trappings of action, special effects, uh, set pieces, I think, you know, all of those are really superb here. Yeah. And that, you know, it doesn't all kind of hang together as well as one might wish is really besides the point almost. Yeah. Well, if we compare every Marvel film to Black Panther, none of them are going to stand up to it. Yeah. So we have to stop doing that. Then. Yeah. Really. <laughs> so. It's like, oh, this wasn't Citizen Kane. <laughs> so it's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It really shut us up as well. Yes. I mean, we were kind of joking around the points and I don't think either of us was bored at any point mm. um, during the film, but we were kind of sharing a joke here or there and I said, like, God, the sister can keep a grudge and all this kind of mm. stuff. But when you got into the final 15, 20 minutes of the film where the action really ramped up and it was all apocalyptic and the demon came in and the dad and the son, we weren't saying a word at that point. Yeah, yeah. We were fucking in that yes, mood. Shut you up. Yeah. <laughs> and you. <laughs> all right. Thank you very much for listening. We're eavesdropping in the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. <laughs>